Hello, 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 folks. Welcome again to another edition here of The Mind of Magnus on 106.3 FM WRFC. LP Rochester, as always, the cool kids are listening in online on their smart devices uh, at rochesterfreeradio.com. I am the host with the most. Uh, this is Magnus. My name is on the beginning of the show, so you know it must be pretty good here. So uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. I want to give a shout out also to the guy here that makes this possible, the guy behind the glass, Mr. Matt Epsgear himself. He's back there in the glass, and I'm going to harass him momentarily. Uh, but I want to give his shout out first because it's thanks to him being here that this show sounds always as good as it does. So um, I also want to give the other shout outs that happen in this show or for the uh, people that put their money up to make sure this show keep continue, continues to make uh Good sounding happening things happen. I can't say the words right now because um, this show is made possible by, by the wonderful underwriters of Air Rec Radio. Uh, Air Rec Radio are two cool guys making some cool stuff happen here in the city. Uh, check them out. They are actually people here on the radio station, but I always suggest uh, check out their Facebook page. Um, I like listening to them. An enjoyable show. Plus, on Facebook, you get to see their lovely faces when they do the, uh, the video part of the uh, radio show. Um, but I also want to give a shout out to those who help make this show possible are our Patreon supporters. If you guys want to uh, help keep the station going, keep the lights on, keeping the radio sounding good coming through your radio stations, uh, just go to the rosterfreeradio.com, click on the big orange button, and then for a, a few dollars a month is all we ask to uh, put a couple dollars towards us, keep the things going. And uh, it's thanks to you guys that have been doing it. And uh, we've been hearing that there's been more Patreon supporters out there. So thank you for doing that. Uh, if you guys are a Patreon supporter of the show, let us know. Send a message. Say hi. We'll gladly give a shout out uh, to you if you do it. Uh, I've even been sending out some thank you notes, some little cards, little doodles if you are a Patreon supporter. Uh, last week, someone messaged me. Uh, they did find I have a personal Patreon uh, account as well. If you guys want to find that out, message me. We can do it that as well. Uh, but uh, I always suggest if you want to support the radio station, go to rosterfreeradio.com. Check them out that way. Click on the orange button and you can do that. Um, and uh, But I wanted, like I said before, the guy who helps make the show is awesome as it is is the guy in the glass box over there mr matt obscure hey matt how you doing in there coming in hot tonight nice how are. are you yeah doing good uh I, I jumped a little early because i wanted to say thank you we've been uh, people have been saying the uh, the show's been sounding great and also people have been saying our podcast is doing awesome and that's uh all thanks to uh you there to doing it so well, thanks and thanks everybody for listening and letting us know that it sounds good I, I'm, I'm excited to hear that yeah so uh, i had some podcast listeners saying they've tuned in we actually got some downloads happening there uh like into our, our older shows uh we got a bunch of our older shows shows up and uh, but I actually when people message me, I tell them it's thanks to uh, you being part of the show that this is our our uh, domination of uh, not just the airwaves, but also the podcast uh, signal. I guess I don't know what do you call that anymore? But that's right. Free media domination. Is, exactly. Is our goal. We're, we're trying to we're trying to one at a time, one at a time. Um, but uh, so it's nice. We don't have thunderstorms in the background. I wonder if we're going to have a thunderstorm effect in the background. We, I was kind of hoping for it for dramatic effect here today. That would have been really cool. Yeah, yeah. Especially because our, our theme tonight is uh, one that's close to my heart because I live on this planet. Uh, I love this planet. I, I As a person who works, like I work with the, the local zoo. I do a lot of different projects here in the city to make the city better. But unfortunately, we're at the mercy of the environment we're, we're, we're in. Um, and we are living in a world where... I am not sure what I can do to make it better, what I can do, because I, I need to help. I'm a guy who's wired to help. And I I felt myself kind of at a loss. Well, luckily, we have a very talented person that's joining us tonight. Uh, and he's going to help talk about all sorts of things to help us understand where we're coming from, where false news is, what not to like. We need to talk about what we're hearing and why why we need to care and what we put our energy into the right places. Uh 
So I, we have a lot of content today, so I'm going to jump right into it. My guest tonight is uh, Frederick Stoss, and uh, I'm just going to let him in. Like, I'm just going to bring him right in because we have props, we have cool stuff to talk about, we have layouts of, of the conversation, because uh, this is a topic that's going to last the entire show and bring him back for more show. I know how it's going to be. So, uh, Frederick, thank you for being on here. Can I just call you Fred? Is there a, a... Fred is fine. Uh, I've, I'm, and by the way, I have been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine if you're associated with... With uh, anything climate and climate, and you you're a person that fully believes climate change is happening. We should say this right off the bat, you know, because yes. you because you're an intelligent person. And thank you, by the way, for this. But because um, I, I've had uh, there's a lot of folks I've encountered that I, I thought were seemingly with it, and they they were not. They didn't believe climate change to be real. And you're here to let us know it. It unfortunately is real. What is like. What, and what we can do about it, everything else. So, um, so uh, let's get right, right to the point. I, I would love to. Like, unfortunately, thank. Fortunately, way this uh, this is, we need to kind of know about the person talking. So we can't just have uh, a bit of just like cool random facts. We also have to know, and the in the way the world is today, we also have to understand the person giving the facts too. So you're not just some guy I dragged off the street. You're a man with you know some some information behind him so can you give give the lovely listeners what they uh, need to know for your like re- resume of sorts for well, your thank, knowledge yeah i think that that's a great way to start um first i i'd like to say that um if i had a mission statement it would be something uh, along the lines of that we truly are living in a greenhouse gas constrained world mm. um, whether we uh um, are experiencing um, all sorts of weather extremes or if we're looking at uh if we're looking at uh, uh uh, like today's burning question uh, is this heat wave that we've been having. I think this is the third or fourth consecutive day of 90 degree temperatures. It's the second uh, such heat wave that we've had just this month. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess you would say we're really blessed in the Rochester area also by having some of the finest um, scientifically trained um, weather forecasters, meteorologists and the such here on, on all of our major networks. Really? Uh, they come with really serious science degrees from uh, from various uh, um, academic institutions and they know their stuff and their their listeners also uh, know an awful lot about weather patterns mm-hmm. and w- what the differentiation between about weather and uh, um, and climate uh, is is a very critical one um, people would ask me says well what's you know what's my background I, I've got a, an undergraduate degree in biology from from Hartwick College uh, a zoology master's degree from here locally, SUNY Brockport. Mm-hmm. And I was working for eight years as a toxicologist at the University of Rochester Medical Center and at the Syracuse Research Corporation. And while I was at Syracuse, I got uh, really interested in the data and information side of toxicology and wanted to take a couple of courses um, at the School of Information Studies at Syracuse University. Oh, wow. And about two and a half years later, I find out that I have a library science degree. <laughs> <laughs> and so my, my first my first my first uh, gig actually started as as it's like my capstone project at SU was uh, developing an acid rain information clearinghouse that I actually brought to Rochester when the Center for Environmental Information got the funding to do this, mm. and I was at CEI for for eight years. Really? Uh, working uh, and, and about ni- in about uh, uh, 1988, we decided to take this expansion of what we were doing with acid rain and what, like what's the next big hot topic, mm-hmm. and it ended up being global warming or climate change. And we started publishing 30 years ago this year, 
uh, an internationally recognized publication called the Global Climate Change Digest. And um, wow. I, I did that until about 1990 when I, somebody down at Oak Ridge National Laboratory, Mike Farrell, who sort of grew up here in the Rochester area, uh, was uh, the director of the Carbon Dioxide Information Analysis Center at, at Oak Ridge National Laboratory and recruited me to go down there and spend six years on a DOE contract. Hmm. So I worked with some of the, uh, some of the world's leading uh, uh, meteorologists, climatologists, uh, uh, geochemists that were there uh, looking and examining actually, actually some of the real hardcore research that was being done. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that was uh, what we were looking at for for that, and, and this is I mean this isn't like a new like you said this was thirty years ago you were writing this stuff was happening it's it's remarkable uh, like some people think climate change now is kind of a new thing but there, this is this trend has been science has been noticing it and warning of it for quite some time I mean oh yeah I think the when you trace the roots of actually finding out when when did scientists actually know about some of the the heat capturing capacity of things like carbon dioxide you go back into the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the late 1800s, Fonte Arrhenius is the uh, person who essentially described what was called the greenhouse effect, that the carbon dioxide does have a, uh, an ability to capture heat. And he actually made some predictions without any of the elaborate monitoring or measuring uh, programs that we have mm-hmm. today that said that, yeah, the, if we increase the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we would see a warming trend. And since about the 1950s, uh, we've been seeing a lot more scientific evidence being generated. Uh, the big boost was in 1957-58 with the International Geophysical Year, mm-hmm. when we actually started for the very first time measuring uh, the content of uh, carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere and finding out that there were corresponding, uh, I guess you would say, geological parameters that were being measured to measure all sorts of atmospheric conditions. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's good. That, that, at that point in time, science really puts a like a mark and you can start like really like putting the numbers behind what they're theories, ideas, whatever. They- exactly. And temperature records that go back to the, um, I guess we say from the 1860s, 1870s uh, beginning uh, that, that now are expanded uh, worldwide in mm-hmm. terms of being able to have very accurate uh, records of things that are taking place in real time. Oh, wow. Now, uh, you mentioned before, uh, so we were talking about past sense, but I, people, we need to know about now, and this is the, the show is going to be ch- chatting about like the current climate and ways of helping wake, making a difference here. But you mentioned before the burning question we had is there a connection between the recent heat wave, uh, the heat wa- waves? There's currently another one happening right now, uh, and uh, climate change. So is like, how does how does this connect? How's the uh, you know? Okay. Well, the first thing the first thing that you have to recognize is that we cannot we cannot put the the blame of climate change for any one single uh, um, weather episode or weather event. Okay. But what we can say is that climate patterns are changing that can make those weather or, or meteorological events take place with a certain uh, greater or lesser degree of frequency. Mm-hmm. So which gives us the, the, the in some of, some of the areas here in, in Rochester, we had uh, in 2016, we had a, an El Nino year that was taking place and we had a very, very severe drought, something 
probably worse than what we're having right now. But if this is only the the middle part of July, so we yeah. still have the rest of July and August in front of us. Now today's rain is going to be um, very much needed yeah. where it falls, and that's one of the one of the issues that we see is we don't see these larger systems, um, but we see a lot of episodic things. Like um, while we were having here in Rochester, I, I work at the university. My carbon sin, by the way, and I will admit it is my carbon sin. I live sixty five miles from where I work. Oh, wow. um, but while you were having this torrential downpour here in the Rochester area, we had blue sunny skies uh, over in Buffalo in western New York. Now, that's going to change tonight with storms that are coming in that we may not see, but they will be over over mm-hmm. there. Yeah, very, very <clears throat> kind of a, a spattering around there. Uh, it Now, is... Um is is the spattering flat like did we used to see larger cloud systems is there is there a change well, well, it's, in the it's a too? it's a whole it's a really complex kind of a thing when you're taking a look at what what we are seeing taking place okay and we what we do know is taking place is that we're seeing a lot more more frequency with these i guess we would say severe episodic events that are taking place mm-hmm. and here in the Rochester area we don't have to go far uh, back in time 5 6 7 years to see that we've had some fairly decent flooding events in the in the finger in the finger lakes yeah um Penn Yan, watkins glen uh, canisius lake have all seen these local almost like micro uh, uh, weather events that have caused uh, some rather substantial flooding i know several years ago there was one camp good days and special times had to have a special fundraising event so that that camp would be open for the summer and it was amazing how fast that the rochester community realized that there was an, a, a flooding event that mm-hmm. was unprecedented uh, that needed to have a fix to it, so that these, so that the kids who go to this camp uh, aren't going to be affected by it. And that's called, I guess you would say, resilience of the people who live in the in the yeah. area for being able to do that. This city's always been good that way. I, I mention it all the time on the show that this is a town that always we supportive town. Let alone if you give us a solid goal, especially helping you know that camp is is we, yeah. So we're there. <clears throat> well, we've also been seeing out in California that's that that had temperatures in the. Uh, um, uh, well above 110 degrees for some prolonged periods of yeah, time. Yeah, it's the highest record they've and, ever had yeah. prolonged, too. And I think that there was a recent article that was uh, in the Los Angeles Times that was saying that it is... Uh, these these things are being being able to be predicted by the scientists and making that connection between weather events and climate change mm-hmm. more precisely than they have been. And this is what we're seeing in all, a lot of this monitoring and measuring and the research that's going into it is is increasing the resolution mm-hmm. and the refinement of those measurements and the 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 results that we can make those assumptions uh, of saying that yes, there is a greater reality that because this is taking place, this is going to happen, mm-hmm. and it's a, a more direct uh, way of saying that it's a it's a it's an event that that is precipitating no pun intended uh, <laughs> that is precipitating these kind of uh, that these kind of situations and when you when you look at the consequences in California with the with the wildfires even more than a decade ago uh, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger said that uh, we used to have a wildfire season he says we don't have that anymore he says we just have a year of wildfires yeah I mean I was watching the news about the uh, the wildfires happening now I mean like I said it's only just part of July and they we're already having massive wildfires happening out there uh and but i mean it's crazy the temperatures i was watching um so uh world cup coming up and the next world cup's happening i forget exactly where uh the next one's going to be Qatar. Qatar. Qatar, yeah and yeah that that is 110 100 like and more degree temperature and there's been four years they're saying it may be they're gonna have to ace they have the giant ac all the well, places in th- there, that's a, a great lead and thank you um 
one of the things that we have seen that happening this year is while we have been talking about the wildfires and some of the, uh, the temperature records being mm-hmm. broken here in the United States, uh, there's two things. One is we don't see an awful lot of our, our press and media giving, making that connection between some of these severe and episodic events mm-hmm. to climate change. Matter of fact, there was an article in the, uh, uh, recently in the past couple of days uh, about, about what was happening with this heat wave that didn't have any mention um, that this might be associated with, with changing climates. But what's, going to, what's been happening also across the world is we're not the only place that's been seeing these abnormally high temperatures because mm-hmm. there has been a ridge that has extended right across the entire northern portion of the continent of Africa going into the Middle East where they have had temperatures in excess of 125 degrees approaching 130 degrees. That's fatal. I mean, that, that, uh, that's an area that yeah. you could, I mean, that you'll kill of most things is not a, not a yeah. reptile and at best. When when that temp, when those high temperatures go into places that also have high humidity, there have been some isolated pockets, in mostly in India, where the humidity and the temperatures are so high mm-hmm. that the human body loses its ability to cool itself from sweating and, ha- and, and evaporation. Because oh um, and what what would happen is that if this was to continue, uh-huh. and this is like a a worst worst case scenario. Uh-huh. Um, a person can't cool themselves down, and their body temperature just elevates until it reaches 105, 106, which are those lethal levels. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about places that don't have the ability to run inside and turn the air conditioning mm-hmm. on uh, for, for a, a variety of reasons. So we're seeing that uh, the extremes are getting to be more and more extreme. I, it's crazy. I mean, I, so there's no, no place on the planet is uh, free and, and safe from the changing climates. I mean, this whatever. Some place will be colder. Some place will be warmer. There, but things are going to change. The, the stability we've had for millennia. I mean, how like our system is an amazingly balanced structure, right? Our whole planet had has had a lot of time to kind of get itself set. And well, there's yeah, there and there and there are there's. I guess you would call them. They are they are graphs. If you graph them out, they they go up and down, and then they start cycling in to, to maintain that balance around yeah, yeah, some yeah. sort of a mathematics. You call it an asymptote, um, where the, you're just going to be above or below, but you're always going to swing. The same swing cycle. I mean, like you said, the El Nino, El Nino. That's a cycle right. that has been happening every what seven and years. This year years. and this year should be the beginning of a, of one of the La the La Nina years, which would be a cooling year. But we're seeing. We're seeing things being accelerated to a to a warming trend. So, so are we better? Are we luckily better off because it was going to be cooler anyway? Or are we bypassing? Like, is that still happening? And we're just lower than we should have been without it? Out of curiosity, I, I think that people who are doing climate modeling will, will say that one of the one of the consequences of things going out of balance mm-hmm. is chaos. So what, it's the same reason, like why we may see, uh, and we, and I cut several years ago, we had some really dramatic um, uh, experiences even before the, the hurricane in, in Houston last year, but yeah. prior to that. Severe episodic floods in one portion of the country and 500 miles away, severe mm-hmm. uh, droughts. And uh, we, we see these kind of patterns that are approaching uh, with this irregularity of, of events. So we simultaneously are talking about uh, too much heat, mm-hmm. too little heat. Was it 2015 when we had um, a very, very abnormally cold winter? Mm-hmm. It's when everybody put into their environmental lexicon the new word of polar vortex. <laughs> That's right. And when, That's when, when Rush Limbaugh says it's a made-up word until Al Roker um, jumps to the rescue, pulls out a 1959 um, uh, 
uh, encyclopedia of, of meteorology or weather and shows a citation to, to that that says, here's what the polar vortex is. Oh, my God. That's funny. It's, and, not, it's not, not all new. It's all oh no, yeah. for it. Un- yeah, Uncle Al, the kitty's pal, saved us all from, uh, <laughs> uh, from the distortion of, of uh, phraseology, I guess. Now, phraseology is <clears throat> a great way to think here because there are certain places in our country that the term climate change is not able to be said. Florida is one that you can't, like, there are certain things that you, like, so you have to be cautious in what you say, which drives me nuts. As a person who's a scientist, I want, I, I, I hate to obfuscate, how do you say the word, uh, things and using, like, you know, euphemisms, something else, but there seems to be a reluctancy with either in, in the media, in the, in to use these terms yeah well i mean i think there's no i think north carolina wisconsin might be joining that list um also places where uh the, the saying the word climate change or global or the phrase climate change or global warming i know in north carolina uh people who are doing assessments on uh, beach erosion or coastal coastal zone deterioration mm-hmm. are not supposed to use the word climate change or climate induced changes they um so okay. uh, so it's it, it's, I, I don't know if you want to call that censorship, uh, but it's, it seems the way to me. I, I, we, we can we can vote on it here. Is that sounding like censorship, Matt? I think that that sounds like censorship, right? For sure. Okay. Yeah. We, we voted on it, so Absolutely. we've been decided now. But um, I mean, this goes back to saying that um, for for like how long has this research actually been going on? Mm-hmm. And um, when when I was working at, at Oak Ridge, the uh, uh, that particular program was an offshoot of the U.S. Global Change Research Program that was originally proposed in 1989 by then-President Ronald Reagan, mm-hmm. signed into law by um, President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, and had been supported by every single president um, uh, hence, except until the present one, uh, who essentially has said that, that, that believes that climate change is a, a scientific fraud or a hoax. Mm-hmm. And what we see is that... Uh, We've had an, and actually the U.S. component of that research network was was part of a worldwide uh, study that was ongoing, and these national assessments that the, about ninety-seven to a hundred and some odd countries are doing their own individual assessments. They're little pieces of a jigsaw, but the United States perhaps had one of the largest cluster of jigsaw puzzle pieces to put together because we were devoting so much time uh, and, and energy into, uh, into monitoring and measuring what was going on worldwide. Mm-hmm. Oh, so wow. the, the U.S. GCRP uh, was, a, uh, was a substantial uh, scientific uh, uh, you know, program. The, the resource for the oh, globe. Def- definitely so. And the National Academy of Sciences used used an awful lot of that data to to have their own assessments that were compiled, and then the uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, who shared the Nobel um, Peace Prize with Al Gore, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they were doing it because they were they were putting all those national um, and global assessments together with a with a, something that represented a picture of global climate change mm-hmm. and that's, a, that's another uh, key key thing is to remember is that it's global in nature yeah. it's not going out into your backyard here in rochester on a cold and windy day licking your finger and putting it up in the air and saying <laughs> it was colder yesterday so where's the global warming yeah i mean bringing a snowball into a building say like uh Maybe a political building, the DC, maybe. I don't well, know. no, I, actually, I got, I got the counter. The counter to that I would love, I would love to see somebody uh, um, uh, take a, one of those little Teflon frying pans, uh, put an egg in it, and go put it on the on the the pavement, the, the asphalt pavement outside mm-hmm. the Capitol building, and bring it in and saying, "Well, here's 
here's our equivalent of bringing a snowball in, yeah. Mr. Senator. How do you want your eggs? <laughs> Scrambled or over easy? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, so it seems like reporters and and uh, political folks have to figure out, like, the, the proper – you have to be trained to get like to distinguish between like weather and climate and a bunch of other ways, right? So they have to translate it. Of sorts. Oh, I think that we've got we've got an awful we've got a huge cadre of of journalists who know the science and know the science rather well. Mm-hmm. What we I think the, the the bigger connection is that they have uh, th- what's their obligation in terms of making those connections um, better than they have been? Mm-hmm. That that same article in the Los Angeles Times was saying that there is a reluctance for a variety of reasons uh, why. That may not may not be taking taking place, and that's that's another discussion for for for, for policy mm-hmm. uh, policy people, advertising people, and and people who are really entrenched in the in I guess we would say the science of communication yeah, yeah. as to why that isn't taking place. Hmm. Um, so you have to what you have to do is you have to search. Um, of, you don't have to search very far to, to be able to say, well, like, where can you get the good information? I mean, that's what I, that's one of the functions that, that I have um, um, that, that I've been doing for uh, a long time is that, like, I got involved in doing this Global Climate Change Digest 30 years ago here in Rochester, uh-huh. where I used to like to say that it was the offshoot of our acid precipitation digest because we started that thing three years early, four, five years earlier. Uh, with the topic of acid rain. I used to like to call myself the only neutral source of acid rain information that was out there. <laughs> and um, somebody once sent me a, 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 I guess you would say it was like a, 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 not a, it was a cartoon from the New Yorker, I think, mm. that, that had a picture of uh, a Jerry Garcia kind of a guy with a crown on his head, and uh, he was holding a sign that said acid rain, uh, spelled a little bit differently. <laughs> <laughs> so I used, to, I used to hang in my, in my, in my office here, here in Rochester. I didn't realize there's so many PH jokes in the world, but glad, oh, glad oh, to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to, actually, when I was in graduate school, I used to do a column in the biology department at Brockport by um, uh, funny Fred spelled P-H- <laughs> U-N-N-Y-P-H. H-R-E-D. Oh, so if you guys are tuning in right now, my guest tonight, Frederick Stoss, we are talking environment, talking uh, nature, talking about uh, climate change, um, the big scary word. You know, I, I like rocking the boat. That's my thing. I'm going to say climate change and we're going to try to do stuff here. Um, we talked about your, your motivations behind like what, you know, where you come from. You have 30 years of working on and studying this sort of stuff. Um, but uh, like, so what, what else was your motivator before this? I mean, you, you started off, you talk about your schooling and things, but there had to been a young Frederick that, that, you, that somehow got a hook for this, you know, from science and this sort of stuff. Oh, the, the hook. The great, great, great word to use. I grew up outside in a very rural area just to the um, east of Johnstown, New York, mm-hmm. uh, in Fulton County, the twin cities of Gloversville and Johnstown. And there was a little stream, Hales Creek, that ran... Uh, in this little glacial valley, and on the other side, our backyard on the other side of a farm field was that creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it creek or creek? I always used to, we always used to call her going down to the creek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but my dad and I used to go down there. We it was a beautiful little trout stream, uh-huh. and it was a, an incubator for a guy. I is my is my passion for for having degrees in biology and zoology, and that zoology degree was a an aquatic ecology fisheries kind nice. of a thing. And just to let you know, it really didn't help me learn how to catch fish any better. Um, <laughs> but you, what you do, you look at the fish longer, right, before you no, toss it back I, in. I, I I look at the fish longer, and I, I say, oh. 
oh, Nona Magona's Christ of Lucas. I know what fish that is, <laughs> <laughs> which is my, it's the golden shiner. Yeah. Um, but we, at one point in time, I was a TA for an ichthyology course, which is the study of fishes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we used to have to know all those, all those great, great names. But I do know, um, as a matter of fact, I have tattooed on my arm because I still do a lot of fly fishing. Mm-hmm. My brown trout, Salmo trutta. Um, <laughs> um, and but I but the, the the motivation was just growing up in the southern and the southern foothills and the southern south central Adirondacks where my dad and granddad uh, uh, used to go fishing and hunting up there and I think that was sort of like the the motivational uh, the motivational thing I remember I was in first grade once and I got reprimanded for putting my fingers on the top of a of an aquarium mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, she has probably passed, but Miss Griffith told me once not to do it, and I did it again. And the second thing I heard was this big paddle going across the left cheek of a <laughs> lower portion of my body, and I could not say anything. No sound came out. It was just that. But I, I think that I, I went on to get that degree in aquatic biology just to spite her. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put my fingers any, anything that's, I that's want. Exactly that's exactly right. I got my hands dirty in more lakes and streams than you want to think of. <laughs> but but that was uh, I think the earlier motivational thing and. The other motivational thing is when I was a sophomore at, at Hartwick College mm-hmm. was the first Earth Day. So, oh, that's perfect um, time to get, like, if you're already into it and then have Earth Day, a big thing. So this is 1970, right? 19, was, uh, April 22nd, uh, uh, 1970, went to the teach-ins, and uh, we had them in the morning. And I think yeah, that there were... I love it. Yeah, they would teach-in. You know, it's so yeah. groovy. You know? <laughs> it really was. <laughs> and I remember there were a group of uh, fraternity brothers of mine that we uh, went... Uh, went out to Charlotte Creek and actually caught enough fish. We had a, a, a nice uh, uh, trout dinner mm-hmm. um, and uh, stopped by the one place in Oneonta, New York, where you could buy low and brow dark and, and had, a, had a very nice, uh, you know, you know, sportsman's, sportsman's yeah. meal. Now, most of the trout I catch go back into the, into the stream or the lake from where they're caught. But uh, So that was, uh, the Earth Day was a really big influence, and I think I have celebrated. Now, this is the 49th that we just mm-hmm. had. Next year will be the 50th Earth Day. In 2020, we'll have the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. So start marking your calendars, listeners. And uh, um, April 22nd. April 22nd, uh, 2020, will be the 50th anniversary of half of, century of, of Earth Day. That's and, uh, and, environmental and, awareness. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it, it, this has been a beneficial thing. I mean, Earth Day has made effects. I, I mean, I grew up where Earth Day rose awareness for like the, I mean, even if the nature around, like you said, growing up, there's certain. Like, I grew up with Earth Day in there. It was a thing that always was there, and it actually mattered to me. I grew up in nature. I grew up in a farm, and my family were very much that sort of thing. So it's cool that you've encountered Earth Day for this yeah. and, and being in this industry. It wasn't something that's well, a peripheral thing. Well, what, the, the funny thing is when I, when, I first, when I first got involved in this, sort of like this environmental uh, um, bend to my, my career and my both per- personally and professionally, mm-hmm. um, I used to ask audiences, says, does anybody remember what they, were, what they were doing on the first Earth Day? And now I have to ask uh, people if I'm talking to some of my students out at, uh, out at, out at the University of Buffalo saying, do any of you know, any of you know what your grandparents were doing on the first <laughs> Earth Day? <laughs> so it's that it's that generational skip that we've had there and it's been it's been really great and the the other component of this and um uh happened not too long ago um 
I think it was in twenty in, in two thousand and six when Al Gore released the the documentary film. Actually, he didn't release it. He was sort of like the star of it. Yeah. But when they released the uh, the film, An Inconvenient Truth, which mm-hmm. was uh, filmed in uh, in two thousand and five, I think they filmed five or six presentations that he gave in Los Angeles, and they taped it and they put it up and put the whole thing together. Uh, wins two Academy Awards, um, and. I, I saw the film and I saw some of the interviews that were that were taking place and some of the comments that mm-hmm. were that were out there, and I remember I went to see the movie with my wife a couple of times. We we I, we took our daughter Katie, mm-hmm. who uh, um, is an environmental educator now in her own right. People actually remember she actually was a guest on this show. That's so right. You can go back. Uh, I think her show. I think her show may be a podcast already. If not, we'll put it up there as well. Uh, so uh, Mind of Magnus, go to mindofmagnus.com and it'll send you to the proper channels or just go to iTunes, download it. So I just had to do a, a quick little plug. Oh, That's what I do every once in a while. Please, it's my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to see it. I took my I took my sister-in-law. I took my, my mother and father-in-law. I took anybody off the street. You want to see the movie with me? I said, sure, you know, come on in. Mm-hmm. And later that summer, there was a little email that came across and said, anybody who has seen the, the movie, An Inconvenient Truth, mm-hmm. El Gore is looking to train 1,000 climate messengers to uh, um, give the slideshow. So I filled out the little form. I put in all the work that I had done here in Rochester with the Global Climate Change Digest and yeah. the work that I did in, in um, uh, Oak Ridge where I was the co-editor of uh, the three print editions of trends a compendium of data on global change and uh, <laughs> great delivery for that I, yeah, thank I, I, you unfortunately people didn't get a chance to see you even pose yourself for that that thing well done sir well done i applaud but it, i mean it was a, it, it was a huge work i think the last volume was 800 and some odd pages long wow so i mean we had data from all over the world and so i put all that in and I sort of forgot about it. And just a, a little bit before thanks, around Thanksgiving, I get one of these emails that said, congratulations, you have been selected. And I'm up there. I was, I was so close to just deleting it. And I said, well, I said, what was the selection du jour? Mm-hmm. That I look, you have been selected to go to Nashville to be trained by Al Gore oh my God, um, to, to give his um, slideshow. Wow. And um, I went down. I, I, I think I left Rochester on New Year's Day of 2007. Mm-hmm. And we spent three days in Nashville, and it was a very, very small kind of a venue. And I got some great pictures of, of uh, uh, the former vice president and me talking about some papers that I had written about the world data centers that archived and generated much of the data that was in the film. Mm-hmm. So we had this really great photo op to, uh, that was not it was not a posed picture by any means, but it was a great picture that's in my slideshow. Yeah, actually, um, I uh, I saw it uh, on what, social media. I will share it if you don't mind me sharing it. I'll oh, put it on my do. Facebook page. Please do. Yeah. So I'll put it on, uh, if you go to the Mind of Magnus Radio Facebook page, I'll put a picture of Frederick oh, up thank there. thank you. So, uh, thank also, you, check Magnus. him out. Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, you're a good-looking man. you got that flowing hair, the hat, the picture. I, I was, like, you're a trendy-looking man, so I'll show ah, off the, that. But the hair was brown then. It's all white now. <laughs> <laughs> at least you have hair. That's, you beat me no, there. Uh, that's true. So, um, but the, at, that, at that event, when we had our first dinner um, there, we were... The table where I was sitting was next to the big table where the big table where the vice president and his folks were. But I sat like right across from Tipper Gore and Tipper Gore. And I had this really great conversation about she was so intrigued about how a librarian Uh got involved in all this. And I said it started literally down the road at Oak Ridge um, when I was I was working in an information analysis center Mm -hmm. uh, with Mike Farrell and uh, and and who the vice president knew quite well. But um, so it, th- that 
that opened up a brand new aspect of my entire life. I mean, I've given presentations um, at the invitation of the Sierra Club to go out at their summer uh, education yeah. workshops out in um, uh, LeConte Lodge at mm -hmm. Yosemite National Park. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest thrills I think I ever had was being able to say, I'm teaching in the same national park where John Muir taught. And it was this kind of a, you know, kind of a moment there where you're like, whoa, whoa, you know, this is this is important. Mm -hmm. And I've given talks in a couple of Caribbean nations. I've been I've been consulting with the National Library of Aruba um, really? several times. I may be going back uh, next year. Nice. Um, and Katie's Katie has spoken at some of their symposium. I have, and uh, um, I, I was the recipient of the very first Friends of the National Library of Aruba Award a couple of years ago for the work that we've done, not only in climate change, but for sustainability down in, down in the, uh, the happy island of Aruba. So, um, but I've, I've given that, to, I think I've probably given, I don't know, in excess of 80 presentations that have reached probably well over 10,000 people. That's but amazing. I'm not on the high end of that list. I mean, there are people over since, I, since we were trained 10 years ago that have probably given over a thousand presentations and reached uh, um, numbers that are in the uh, upper hundred thousand. Some mm -hmm. uh, it for, definitely for shows uh, from what I've read that like the presentations <laughs> do do make an effect. They're they're not just like because that's the trouble with in today's world. Some people are just you know complaining about fake news or this guy that he's just trying to push some sort of like agenda. Your your presentation is about the the caring the how to make like the, what you know it's an awareness of what is happening and how to improve it. Uh, and it has it's not it's not a political thing this is a climate thing this is a planet caring yeah. thing no exactly what, what and what we what we're privy to as having been trained is that we get all of the most current updated information that's available to to um Al Gore and the Climate Reality Project. Mm -hmm. And some of that has been like he just finished a program in in Berlin about 2 weeks ago um prior to that was Mexico City I mentored in on October in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. Houston uh, the year before in August uh, um, August of uh, uh, 2016, and so we we were getting around. I think I've mentored five times for, for him, wow. and what we uh, what we saw happen is that we get this this most updated information. Uh, the next training is going to be in Los Angeles. It mm -hmm. starts, I think, for the trainees on the 28th of August. Mentors have to be there a day before because the mentors get there sort of like half to three quarters of a day. Now, one of the things that we noted in Pittsburgh last fall, mm -hmm. we have we have our briefing meetings that begin at 7 o'clock in the morning. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, and... Well, I, I made this observation in the morning. I said, has anybody noted a really huge difference from when we first started doing this? Is that so many people are coming to these training events that Mr. Gore is doing, mm -hmm. so knowledgeable about the science and the technology of what climate change so is. You're, in the, you're in, not bringing novices anymore or hoping to help. Oh, these are, these, no, are, these but, are armed. So what I said was, I said, many of these people who are now attending uh, attending this they saw an inconvenient truth, let's say, in high school. Mm -hmm. They have graduated from college. They may have already received their master's degrees or their JD degrees. Some of them are finished or in the process of completing their doctoral degrees. So we are seeing a, a whole cadre of individuals who are so much more aware of the science and technology behind climate change, mm -hmm. where it becomes now the most critical component is transitioning from, and this this Earth Day 
um, event. Earth Day was a great awakening for the era of environmental activism. Mm -hmm. We are now into a situation where we are sorely needing a period or an era of environmental action. And um, what we're doing now is we're seeing so many more groups that are following that um, that thing. And I mean, Rochester has this great 30-plus year yet legacy mm-hmm. of being able to work with and, and providing um, uh, providing information and data and access to it. Um, so we, we see we see now that one of the critical components is the first thing we tell people that they what if they want I want to do something for climate change, learn mm-hmm. learn more about it. Um, like I said, I said, we, we are living in a greenhouse gas constrained world. What are we going to do to educate ourselves ab- about the facts, the simple, pure facts of what does that mean? So you have to learn a little bit of the science behind yeah, yeah. it. And it's, it's not just sort of like um, taking, taking a big bunch of information and data and trying to throw it on a dartboard or something. You have to really pay attention to what's going on. Truly really digest it. Like you, the, a, yeah. a well-informed person can, can utilize their skills to take the information in to make and, a better Yeah, and that's, exa- and that's exactly, that's exactly what a whole host of, of programs are doing right now. And it's not just, it's not just Al Gore. Um, that's doing this. There are so many other organizations. The Sierra Club has got programs. Audubon Society has a great series of programs on the impact of climate change to uh, to bird populations. Mm-hmm. So we see we see this great maturation of a scientific thinking process, despite the fact that from a political perspective, we see such an anti-science perspective being thrown at us. Yes. And even uh, with the the EPA withdrawing and withholding. Um, information and data by just taking it away. Now, mm-hmm. which prompted me uh, last year, in, in um, uh, j- about January of, 20, of, of 2017, I dusted off an old piece of paper that I had that was a resolution mm-hmm. uh, to the American Library Association on climate change. So I, I took it, I said, I just need, may, need to make a couple of changes to this because I was very getting very, very concerned about saying that let's put people in the information and data darkness. So I, I wrote this resolution and by June I presented it at one of the membership meetings. Uh-huh. It, it was passed um, by a large margin, which means it automatically goes to the American Library Association's governing body, the ALA Council, mm-hmm. where um, we spent about an hour discussing and debating this, and it was um, overwhelmingly approved by council. So that ALA now has an official resolution and sort of like a policy statement on climate change that one recognizes it's real Mm -hmm. recognizing that humans have a certain contribution in causing it recognizing that there's a a, that there's a data uh and information um compilation that is being threatened by um by forces to be to be removed Mm -hmm. and something needs to be done about it and the resolution was essentially saying that ala supports librarians in providing equitable economic and efficient access to the information base on climate change to anybody who needs it. That's a big step. Wow. That's, I mean, uh, in, in the fight, you're actually getting, giving ammo to the people that need it, people that can look it up. You know, that's exactly now. Now the only thing the, the, I saying that we're giving, I, I sometimes I don't like, I don't like the gun, the, the gun references, but what we're doing is what, what a lot of people are doing now is we're providing the ammunition um, 
for 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 the, the science, the Sciences, scientific yeah, ammunition yeah. to to say and to increase the resolution and to increase the uh, uh, the refinement of of how we look at that picture of what climate change is doing. That's amazing. Um, now uh, you had mentioned before that there's uh, like the you know and this show is really very centric on Rochester. I've always liked having like reason I bring people in on it, uh, and I'm just more thinking of. Um, you're talking about like the current contributions uh, uh, to like Rochester's like the climate like legacy that's happening here in the city, uh, and I've luckily I've met a, a random folks in the city that are doing a lot of good work. Um, Susan, uh, I'm drawing a blank on her last name right now. Uh, Doctor Susan, <laughs> she's going to be a guest at one point on the show here. She's another Al Gore uh, a, a, a scientist that helps make the, the world change. But there is um, a lot of different current current contributors to helping. Like Rochester's client, uh, uh, the climate legacy. Um, you kind of briefly touched on that a little bit there. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's there, there's actually they're they're springing up all over, mm-hmm. and I think that here in Rochester um, is that we have a pretty dedicated um, and and and, ex- and now let me say that they are extremely motivated um, individuals in, in working in organizations that are uh, that are mobilizing ordinary people yeah, yeah. into thinking. Um, about doing actions to to resolve our climate issues mm-hmm. and maybe either to reverse or to prevent a, a true climate crisis from yeah, happening. Yeah, that's what my thought was with this, was that I, I and, like having the, the Rochester sort of connection to it and kind of arming folks this way and what they can do. This is The show also is not to have it's all bad news, that, but we like to say like what is actually happening, what well, we can do for yeah, the, the future. The, the, the good news is that we're not at a lack of information for okay. getting getting the job that's done. That's good. That's what I, I want to leave people with a little bit of hope on the, yeah. the end of the and, show. Um, some of the groups in here in the Rochester area um, that, that are doing the good, the good thing, um, Mother out front, mm-hmm. which is which started as a group of, uh, of of mothers who were concerned about what is the long term um, impact of climate change going to be, not necessarily for themselves, but for their children, and as the program has grown and their grandchildren. Wow. I've gone to a, no- a number of uh, climate change events that, that, as a mentor, mm-hmm. where several of the staff who were scientists who were there saying like, why are you doing this? And Larry Schweiger is the one who actually brought on stage in Pittsburgh, his grandchildren Mm -hmm. who said, these are the children who I am looking out for so that they don't have to live in that, in that greenhouse gas constrained world. Mm -hmm. So mother's out front here in Rochester. We've got the right. Oh, I just want to say uh, thank you, Aaron. Uh, I wrote in Aaron uh, Susan Spencer is the name I couldn't think of. Thanks to a listener, uh, Aaron wrote in saying, "I think if you're thinking of Susan Spencer, Doctor Susan Spencer." So okay. yes, I was. Thank you, Aaron, for writing in saying that. Thank you. Um, uh, the Rochester People's uh, Climate Coalition uh, is a, a, a grassroots organization that has done some remarkable things in terms of uh, putting together some uh, some summit like things, work workshops, really? and um, uh, and have done some you know, yeoman's work in terms of uh, spreading the word. Uh, and you'll find these people. People wear at science exhibits. Um, uh, you will see them at EcoFest wherever there's the possibility. They were just there was one just a few weeks ago um, down at the Brighton Farmers Market on a Sunday. Really, um, they they had thing there. They were at the one the Adirondack Mountain Club had their their um, sort of like their Eco Day uh, down at uh, Menden Ponds. Yeah. So we've got mothers out front. Uh, the Rochester People's Climate Coalition, the Citizens Climate Lobby, which is a national effort that is actually going down and doing grassroots political activism 
on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. Wow, that's nice. And As a person, I'm, I get that lobbyism, that you have to do, have to play that game yes. to get things to happen. And so that was the climate, was it the Citizens Climate The lobby? Citizens Climate Lobby. And we've got several people here in Rochester that have been movers and shakers with that organization for for for, several, for all of its existing, uh, existing years. Wow. Um, the Climate Rochester section of Frank Reagan, uh, who's a, 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 an ordinary citizen. I think he's now on the board of the Sierra club uh-huh. but for years frank has done uh this it's called environmental rochester environmental news and he compiles all sorts of news from newspapers local all local and regional newspapers zines and uh, um, uh magazines really? you name it and, and frank reagan has done this frank reagan from the climate uh, it's Ro- reagan r-e-g-a-n uh-huh. but there's a he actually has one section it is the the, the climate rochester section of uh rochester environmental news oh um, it's so funny that he, he's just a guy that just did it like you know that was his thing yeah a matter of fact I, I know that he several years ago um was the recipient of the it, what used to be the center for environmental information is now the center for environmental initiatives because mm-hmm. they're doing other work but every year they have this big um, celebration of the environment and uh I'd probably say seven or eight years ago, Frank was the recipient um, uh, of one of their um, uh, achievement awards, I think, in environmental education, which um, both myself and my daughter have also won. <laughs> and I did, it, I did it when I think I did it when I was about 66 years old, and Katie did it when she was 34. So, oh, look at that. Uh, yeah. Oh, she, oh, she's got me beat. I used to, we used to go to these. We used to go to these environmental education meetings, and people would say to Katie, "Is is, is Fred your dad?" And um, yeah, yeah. I go to these same meetings now, and people say, "Is uh." Are you? Is Katie your daughter? <laughs> yeah, she's my daughter. That's pretty, um, good, pretty good baton to pass um, on. Though. Now, the one that's the one that's got me intrigued right now is there's a thing. It's called Pacamama um, uh, Rochester. Pacamama, and it's an Ecuadorian kind of a thing about uh, about invoking a sort of like a spiritual component to this. Okay. But what they are doing is that they have a, there's a there's an introductory two hour meeting that they have that talks about what they are doing, and then for the for four weeks we are actually going out and making plans for how are we going to do things at the local level. Matter of fact, really? Thursday night we, my wife and I have to have our final projects done. Um, <laughs> for Dramatic this. music, but it's um, yeah, uh, big heavy bass tones on an organ but what we're doing is we're using matter of fact one of my props is this book here called drawdown edited by um, paul hawken drawdown the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming and and he's got um, authors from around the world who have contributed 100 ideas that can be done at the local level to, to resolve wow. the, the climate problem. So we're finishing up. I think the last ones for the summer will be done um, in, in this week. Or there may be a follow-up one that we're going to do as like a fifth program. It's going to be like a, a, an over, you know, overview. Mm-hmm. We're hoping that there's going to be a couple of these offered next fall on the west side of the, of the city. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife and I are working on some of the logistics with, uh, with some of the folks with that. But if, if anybody gets a chance to, we'll, we'll, we'll put some shouts out for, for that. Yeah. Now, um, sometimes when I mentioned that I have a prop and I actually have the physical book is in my hands, folks. Oh, yeah. um, I said sometimes inviting a librarian, we, we're, we, we're, we have a tendency to bring like a, an entire book cart full of things. Yeah. To bringing an entire book cart of things in, into the studio, but yeah. I just have another book that I, I I think is one of the most important books that that I have read in recent years. Uh-huh. Um, and I want to say I know the author, um, Jill McIntyre Witt, and I have served as a mentor for Al Gore's uh, presentations. She a lot more than I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has written what was her master's thesis at. Uh, um, 
Washington, uh, Western Washington University in Bellingham, Washington. The name of the book is called Climate Justice Field Manual. And what you have in this book, in, in, in one volume, is a, um, a book that focuses on how to increase environmental activism at the local level. And it's talking about, um, in some cases, some very easy uh, ways that you can mobilize and instruct and teach people to get motivated to, um, uh, to I guess you would say, to address the issues about the climate justice mm-hmm. um, uh, movement. Um, it's a field manual. It's a guide for designing, um, developing, and implementing those programs. Now, you can purchase the book for about $27, which is the cost of printing, publishing, and handling. Jill receives no royalties because she's designed it that way. She's not oh. in this for the money. Or you can go, um, and I'll give you the PDF um, uh, URL for the PDF. You can uh, anybody can download a free PDF. Oh, that's awesome! It's and it's got. Um, if I, I'll flip through. There's great, you know, pictures and um, tables and charts and. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Uh, and, yeah, sounds pretty good. The uh, the climate justice field manual. That's yeah, the what climate it's justice field manual. Yeah, if you want, send the link. We'll put it on our website. We'll put I'll share it on my uh, my yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I got some else. some other places. If you're going to do that, I got about four or five others. We got the New York Climate Change Science Clearinghouse. It's a joint effort between Syracuse and Cornell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got great resources for the for explaining the science and uh, the technology behind all of the issues. Uh, the NOAA. Uh, the the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Oh, I, has got- I, I following Noah. I'm, I'm I'm like I I follow their videos. I, I'm a, I follow their Instagram. I'm I'm deep into yeah. Noah. Well, they've that. got some great they've got some great sites for for graphics, but they also have one that's. A, for, for the general public, I would say, and even this goes into high school, um, even high school students, uh, even as some college uh, undergraduate level students, the Climate Resilience Toolkit by NOAA. Oh. NASA is another federal agency that's got some absolutely beautiful uh, graphics while they're still there. <laughs> um, the New York State Climatologist Office down at Cornell has resources. As a matter of fact, that's part of the, the New York Climate Change Science Clearinghouse. The, the, our own Environmental Conservation Department for New York has got a pretty decent uh, regional. They're essentially by all of the, the nine regions within New York State. Oh, really? And there's another one that's out there. It's called the Climate Change Education in New York, uh, which, which has resources for, for teachers, uh, um, uh, K through 12 and above, uh, both for private, public, and, and homeschooling uh, resources. Climate so, change education in New York. I'm just yeah. saying the one again for folks. Uh, I know people. Some some people like just you know hear the name and they they want to repeat some certain things. So we had the climate change education in New York, uh, the 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 New York State climatologist you mentioned in yep. that one in there. Uh, what the the NOAA had the climate resi- resilience toolkit. I like to say that one because I want to give a shout out. I just want to say this again because put these things in your brain, folks. Like you know, find them, make a difference. This is you know tools that you're ready. So yeah, and these are resources. These are resources that are off the shelf in some cases, uh, low cost, uh, uh, and many of them uh, for for being able to deal with this. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I see that we're 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 running preciously. Uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to, how fast how time flies to, in this to show. running out of time. That's so. the reason I jumped right into the show. I knew if I yeah. wait any more time, I gonna, so you know. I think we may have alluded to this. Um, I said that uh, we haven't talked anything about how do you solve the problem or what are some of the real. It's my nefarious plot. Like, like, tune in next time for the tune, no, no, no. <laughs> tune in yeah. next next episode. Yeah, um, yeah. same we, bad time. We don't have any cliffhanger uh, ending other than the fact was I said. Um, uh, are there solutions to this? Yeah. And 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 yes. And one of the things that we what we see what we've seen is we don't have to address Mr. Gore doesn't have to address as much time to the uh, 
to the science of things because mm-hmm. he just gives some updates. And I should go through and count for all of the different iterations on how many scores of flooded rivers, melting glaciers, um, uh, mudslides, wildfires from around the world over over more than eleven years now that he's been that he's been doing this publicly. Uh-huh. Um, I would guarantee that we would probably have four hours worth of here's what this glacier looked like in twenty in in, in eighteen ninety eight, and here's what it looks like in nineteen eight <laughs> or in two thousand eighteen, and it's what glacier. Um, but you know, but we've got that. But but the, yeah, there are things that we can do. And I said I said uh, um, earlier I said yes, the, the, but it, that's an entirely different program. So invite Katie and me to come back, and we it can talk. Happen. We yeah. can talk about solar voltaics mm-hmm. in in Rochester, um, wind in Rochester, energy conservation in Rochester, food in Rochester, mm-hmm. um, or transportation in Rochester, which are some of the very very same things that we're learning about in Drawdown, which is that book that has those hundred uh, solutions in there. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I, I think that. One of the one of the things that, that the, I want to leave your listeners is is that that we are all in this together, and that my role as a climate messenger, as Al Gore called his first one thousand uh, trainees, I said that we live in a greenhouse gas constrained world, and I look at my role in this uh, um, as as one voice showing people that it is possible and how to live in a world that is no longer constrained by greenhouse gases. So thank you for what you do. If I can't say this enough, it's it's nice to have someone who is excited and compassionate and informed and also well-spoken. Like I, I knew this was going to be a great show because I, I met you know, your daughter and she, she warned me that saying that she gets the gift of gab from you as well from, from you. So, uh, um, but yeah, so uh, people are asking the, uh, the books again we had, you were mentioning in here, uh, we had uh, Drawdown, D-R-A-W down, Drawdown. The most comprehensive plan ever proposed uh, to reverse global warming. That was by Paul Hawkins, was the name, I think, right? Yep. Uh, and the other one was the uh, Climate Justice Field Manual uh, by Jill McIntyre Witt. And that one is a downloadable link. I think I have it actually here. So we'll put it up on our Facebook page and other ways of getting it. Okay. Um, but we have a couple more minutes left. If, if you have a, like, what's a, the, uh, something you can leave folks with? Something that, you know, you have a parting wisdom to, uh, for the... Those trying to make a difference out here in this yeah, world. Yeah, I think that the one the one thing to do is, as I had mentioned um, earlier, I says the more that you can learn about this um, by reading the the actual uh, scientific base that's out there in terms of the information, and and for for some people um, that means taking yourself off of some of the the extreme media mm-hmm. uh, that's out there that are saying that this is a, a it's a hoax or can't be believed. Um, we didn't talk anything about, about volcanoes, but volcanoes are not causing global warming. No, it didn't seem um, that way. I've got I've got so much data from uh, from the U.S. Geological Service that, that proves that um, actually what they call they cause more of a global cooling than they do anything. Well, the, else. the year without uh, winter, or year without summer, right? Eighteen yeah. sixteen or whatever yeah. it was. And yeah, they, we've got we've got all sorts of data. We can actually when uh, Mount Pinatuba um, uh, blew its top a couple uh, uh, decades ago, mm-hmm. uh, there was a, a very marked drop of several tenths of a degree. So it shows over it shows. over about a three or four year period of time. But one of the things that they learned because that was that plume went about sixty thousand feet into the air, mm-hmm. high content of sulfur dioxide. That's when they first learned that sulfur containing clouds reflect light better than um, normal clouds uh. do, and it, and the albedo effect was changed that helped to make that cooling. 
That, I love when science finds stuff that, that sort of stuff out. So my guest tonight has been Frederick Stoss. Uh, I feel more enlightened. Uh, I know we touched base on a very small portion of what we hope to get to. Uh, we're going to bring uh, him and his daughter on. We'll probably actually do a podcast of it. We'll do a, a big show of it, maybe cut down the highlight reel, but have just one big conversation that'll happen at some point. We'll organize this up. Maybe we'll plan it already for next year. We'll do our uh, Earth Day uh, episode. We'll have you guys come on or something for that. Yeah. Um, you guys be listening to uh, The Mind of Magnus here on WRFZ LP Rochester. Uh, I want to give a thank you for Frederick for being on. Thanks for those who messaged in during the show. We actually had a couple questions, but you actually answered them definitely without even being asked. I want to give a shout to uh, Mr. Matt Obscure in the box. Um, thank you for being there, Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, quick shout out. Thank you to Yacht for the use of Paradise Engineering from the album Shangri-La. Yay. 